0: Take um, more of a classical, uh, textual, uh, source-based, uh, you know, discussion in order to uh, de- get, you know get a greater perspective on the uh, you know what Mussar is all about. So that's why I decided to start doing Ethics of the Fathers. I talked about this last week, uh, and last week we did the first Mishnah. The word Mishnah is like a verse or a statement. Or, um, and, and in our, in our in our book we have six chapters, and each chapter has roughly. 15 to 20 to 25 different statements, which we call Mishnah's. Last week we did the first Mishnah. I want to read it over really quickly and say say a few more thoughts about that, and we'll move on to the second, and hopefully we'll to finish the second and the third Mishnah tonight. And thank you, Ed, for the coffee. Yeah, that's what I was asking last week. What came first, uh, the written law or the oral law? Yeah. Well, they they came in tandem, but it was only written the 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 written Torah we know is thirty three hundred years old. You know, it's 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 an ancient ancient document, way before you know the first secular historian Deo Cassius, the year five hundred before the common era. So it's 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 a document like like no other. You know, such breadth and such and such depth and such narrative and such chronicling of of a history of a people and much more much more so an extant. His, you know, people. We are the same Jews. We're descendants of the same people that it's talking about in the book, and this is you know written 800 years before the first secular historian. Um, but this obviously is a much more uh, modern document, but still very, very old. And think about it, how many how, how many secular works are there that are more than a thousand years old that you can name right now? Could you name one more? Could you, can you name a document that was written before I don't know before well, I, Shakespeare? I, 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 Not went, many. But do, you went to, do you went to Chaucer, 1300s uh, in the
1: Far East. It's the Genji
0: Tales of the Genji. Oh, I'm sure there you know there, there are now. We have the Hammurabi Code, code, right. but remember those are, those things are much less comprehensive than than the Torah. The Torah is incredibly comprehensive, mm-hmm. incredibly detailed and fascinating. Fascinating to think about and in historical perspective. To
1: David today.
0: That's mm-hmm. exactly that, true. That's
1: the thing that is. Mind mm-hmm. really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I have my grandmother's uh, um, encycl- uh, his, her medical um, encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. She was a midwife in okay. the uh, early uh, 1900s, and she um, has this book dated in 1889 um, for uh, recording the Library of Congress in 1883. And when you read it, what they know about medicine now and they were all jumping up and down about being scientific mm-hmm. uh, physicians and it's what totally they irrelevant now. and what they know that now is is amazing what the, the difference
0: and and it's interesting that you bring that up because in here we'll see we'll see lessons that were recorded 1800 years ago but are as relevant today as they ever were
1: and and the beginning of this book is we want to be scientific physicians yes it could have been written yesterday it could have been written yesterday Mm -hmm. the the declaration of we want to stand on science to Mm -hmm. understand
0: Okay so let's be the first the, the first Mishnah quickly and we'll see a few more lessons of the, the, we'll see you know the conclusions that we had last week perhaps a, a little bit more and we'll 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 deep we'll we'll dig, dig dig deep into the second Mishnah which is a transcendental one Moses received the torah from Sinai and transmitted to Joshua Joshua to the elders the elders to the prophets the prophets to the men of the great assembly so we start off this tractate this book with a delineation of the transmission of the torah from Moses to Joshua, to 800 years of prophets, uh, Joshua to the elders, 800 years of the prophets, and eventually we read to the men of the great assembly, which is at the beginning of the second era, the second temple era. Uh, think of names like Ezra. Ezra is a name that we're all familiar with as a Jewish historical figure um, who is from that time period, 2,400 years ago. So Ezra, think about the beginning of the Greek empire, you know, a few hundred years later, and we'll, we'll talk about that also. They said, the members of the great assembly, they said three themes. Number one, be deliberate in judgment. Number two, develop many disciples. Number three, and make offense for the Torah. The common theme of these three themes is really one. Be deliberate in in judgment. When you're about to mete out judgment, you have to be very careful. You have to take your time. You have to be deliberate. You have to go over every angle, every possible scenario. We don't jump to conclusions. Why don't we judge to co- jump to conclusions? Because if you jump to conclusions, you could very well make a mistake. The first, most important principle of a jurisprudence, of justice, is not to make a mistake. It's better to not come to a conclusion and say, I don't know, than to say, oh, I do know what it is. And have the wrong answer. Mm. Be deliberate in in judgment. Don't make mistakes. Number two, develop many disciples. What's the idea of having many disciples? What's the idea of a disciple? A disciple is a student, someone you teach to. When you teach something, you have to make sure you know it really well. If you have many disciples, imagine you're speaking in front of 24,000 people. Right. If you're speaking about in front of five people, you want to make sure you don't make a mistake. You don't want to look like a fool. But imagine you're speaking in front of 500 people. How much more carefully do you go over your notes? I know when I spoke at the recent Torch, they know there were five, almost 500 people in the room. And I, rec- I, I read it over again and again to make sure that there's not one mistake. You know, here's five people in the room. Eh, not so careful. I still want to know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But how much more so when there's 500 people in the room? And if there's 5,000 people in the room? if you're speaking in front of a convention, a national convention, how much more careful you are to not make any mistakes. We're telling us in the mission that once again, be deliberate in judgment so you don't make mistakes. Develop many students. The more students, the more careful you'll be. The more careful you'll be that you won't make any mistakes. And the last thing, and make offense around the Torah. Last week we described what it means to make offense around the Torah. We gave the illustration of putting a uh, protective uh, guard shield. shield in front of a uh, in front of an electric outlet. If you see a child taking a uh, bobby pin or something uh, that conducts electricity and about to put it inside the electric socket, you quickly slap a cover on top of the uh, the electric. God forbid, you don't want your child, you know, to to get an electric shock. That's a description of someone. Who uh, uh, who wants to take protective measures to ensure something terrible doesn't happen? In Torah, we're instructed to take to make a fence around the Torah. If you don't want someone to do something bad, you have to prevent them a step earlier. If you don't want a child to stick to to stick a paperclip into the electric socket, you put a protect a protection a fence around that uh, episode for occurring. So, too in Torah, we don't want to have any mistakes. We don't want to make any mistakes. If you don't want to make a mistake, you prevent yourself from coming to a situation where you might make a mistake. When we know you're not allowed to cook a uh, meat and milk together, right? That's a verse in the Torah, right? You should not put uh, a meat in a in his mother's milk. We're, we're, we're commanded to not cook uh, uh, cook milk and meat together. Now, what about poultry and and, and milk? Yeah it's fine That's fine. Yeah. from a Torah perspective. from a Torah perspective, it's fine. But how plausible is it that if someone sees the rabbi cooking chicken, poultry with milk, how plausible is it for them to make a mistake? say, mm. "Hey, you're allowed to cook meat, milk and meat together." Poultry and meat look to look very similar. Mm. You take up a piece of veals, white meat. You take a piece of chicken, they, you know, in in a pot, they could look in, in, indistinguishable. So what do we do? Is what the rabbis say: you make a fence around the Torah. We don't want someone cooking milk and meat together. Therefore, we'll make a prevent, protect a fence, not to cook poultry, and milk as well.
1: So it's perception of the wrongdoing.
0: Well, in this case, it's preventing mistakes. Mm-hmm. So we see when they said three things, they really said one thing. One thing is that you're. You're a judge, you're a leader, you have to make sure you don't make mistakes. You have to be very deliberate. Make sure you have a big audience, i.e., if you have a big audience, what do you do? You comb over the idea you're going to share. And lastly, make protective fence. Make sure there's no mistakes. <coughs> so this is, this is a, an interesting statement. It's an interesting statement, which is very pertinent to a very minor select group of people. Who is it pertinent to? Judges. How many people here are judges? None. Now, by golly, tell me, if we're going to start a book that's going to talk about ethics. Now, ethics for who? Ethics for everyone. Why would we start, pray tell, why would we start a book talking about ethics with a very important lesson that's directed to a very minor group of, of, the, of, 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 of humanity, to judges, to prevent them from making mistakes. This is a very critical, it's a beautiful lesson. Three different ways that the rabbis are telling us to avoid mistakes. But who is it really talking to? Judges. Leaders. What does that have to do with us? The plain people, the simple people, the lay people. So I was thinking that um, in reality, we're all Judges. The human condition is one where we're constantly making judgment calls. We're constantly making decisions. What does a judge mean? A judge means someone who has presented with a dilemma, with a situation, and he has to rule one way or the other. Decisions. Humans are different because we can make decisions. Can animals make decisions? No. Animals are bound by instinct. Can angels... Make decision. No. Angels are not decision makers because they are bound by intellect. right? A godly intellect. All animals and all angels are same in that they cannot make decisions. There's only two things, two entities that can make decisions. Humans and God. That's it. That's it. Animals are bound by instinct. There's no way for an animal to go against its instinct. It's not possible. They're programmed to act one way, and they will always act so. Humans are also creatures of instinct, but we have the ability to draw against our instinct. Classic example of this is always humans are programmed to survive. Survival instinct—that's the, the greatest of all instincts. Humans will do will go to great lengths to survive. However we also have the ability, God forbid, to kill ourselves. How does that work? If we're programmed instinctually to seek survival, how is it possible that humans are able to kill themselves? And humans are the only creatures. Out of, what, several million creatures that inhabit our planet, we're the only ones that kill ourselves, in great numbers, unfortunately. How is that possible? Do you know it's possible? Because we were granted something called decision-making, called free will. We have instinct. We have a pre-programmed uh, set of instructions that we, that we follow automatically, right? If I go like this, you're going to blink. Why? Because you, you're, in, you're instinct to program, to protect, uh, you know, if someone, if someone if someone throws a rock at you, right? You duck instinctually. Why?
1: That might
0: be. It's all instinct. We do have instinct but we also have the ability to go against our instinct. And this is why humans are special. If someone says, why are humans special? I'm going to ask you, hey, uh, I don't eat meat because I don't believe that it's moral for us to eat other animals. That's a very good question someone could ask. And there are a lot of people who are who are troubled by this, how come we're allowed to eat other animals? And the answer is because we are different than all of the animals. We're not just a very intelligent um, horse or whatever, right? Or, or ape. We're much more than that. We're a different kind of creature. We're decision-making. We have the ability to make decisions. We have the ability to become great. We have the ability to become the lowest thing, the most immoral, uh, yeah, and Stalin, right, Saddam. The list of names go on and on. And that's, you know, that's, that's the human condition. We could be Mother Teresa. We could be people who try to save humanity. We could be people, you know, who dedicate our lives for the community. And we could be people that are dishonest. People that are, you know, that, uh, that do terrible, cruel, horrible things, with you know, to themselves, and with their families, their communities, and to humanity. What's the Hebrew word for man? Adam. Adam. What is the etymology of the word Adam? Adam is blood. Well, Adam. Adam.
1: Adam.
0: Adam, what, where does that word come from? We know that the Hebrew earth, the, heaven and earth. Very good. Very good. So the Hebrew, very good. The okay. Hebrew, the Hebrew language is different than other languages because the words describe the meaning of the words. Mm-hmm. Classic example of that is Davar, the word for word, is the same word for thing. thing. Because a okay. word describes what the thing what what the thing is. Mm-hmm. So the word Adam describes man. What is man? So the Talmud asks this question. The Talmud says, whoa, there's two different things that uh, Adam that the word Adam means. It can either mean Adameh or Adama. Adameh means I should be similar, similar to God. Man has the ability to become similar to God. On the other hand, man could be Adama, could be earth, the lowest thing, the lowest thing, right? The, the lowest uh, uh, un. Developed or on just, earth. just, earth. just Stum earth. Of the earth, Stum of the earth, just the lowest thing. We could be similar to God, that's what it is. And the definition of human is that ability to make decisions, right? What is a human? Someone who could be either Adameh or Adama. Adamah. what's the
1: letter?
0: Adameh, like Domeh. What is it?
1: What's the letter?
0: Aleph Dalad Mem, hey. Aleph Dalad Mem,
1: hey. And Adama is Is also
0: Aleph Dalad Mem, hey. Oh, okay, so then. But it's but it's, but it, but it's pronounced differently okay so that's the idea we're here and we're special for only one reason why are humans different why are we better because we have the ability to make choices and there's only us and God that can make choices animals cannot choose to be good they cannot choose to be bad they cannot choose to be anything else than what they are programmed to be we're different we're special because we are either Adame or Adama we're special either because we choose be we choose to let to, to let our instincts overcome and just become uh, you know hedonistic. You know, people who are just instinctually driven. So if we are decision makers, we are really all judges. And we and we're constantly making decisions every day. Are we gonna become an adameh? similar to God, or become Adamah, we're going to just remain, you know, the uh, driven by base desires and, and not develop ourselves into great people like we could be. We are decision makers. And at the onset, at the beginning of this book that's going to tell us all about ethics, we have to recognize that the reason why we're able to uh, ethically uh, improve and become great is because we're decision makers. Because we really are judges. I think it's really important. that, that, that That's why the sages, when they, when they wrote down this book, they started it off with a lesson that ostensibly is only for judges. But when you dig a little deeper, you find that no, no, no. It's really for everyone because we all are, in fact. Judges constantly making decisions. And that is what's going to enable us throughout this entire book to uh, incorporate those lessons um, and become become greater people. So that's the first Mishnah. Let's move on to the second Mishnah. Questions? Any questions? No questions. Okay. Shimon the Righteous was among the last members of the Great Assembly. Right, we just let we just finished with the with the members of the Great Assembly. They taught us three lessons. Shimon the Righteous, he was one of the members. And he was one of the last members of this great assembly. He would say, so he was fond of saying the following. On three themes, the world stands. On Torah study, on the service of God, and on bestowing kindness. So let's try to give a little bit of a historical context like we tried to do a little bit earlier. Who is the Stashim on the Righteous? So, obviously we know, like it says in the Mishnah, he was a member of the Great Assembly. Obviously, was, you know, that those, those were the Knesset, the, the, you know, the people who uh, were the leaders of the Jewish people at that time. He was a Kohen Gadol. He was a the, 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 the high priest, the high priest. We know that there are some people who are Kohains, some people who are Levies, some people who are, like me, regular Israelites. And a Kohen is special, unique. They perform many services in the temple. But there is a king Cohen, right? A super Cohen who is called a Cohen god, or the great or the, the high priest, and he performs uh, the entire uh, Yom Kippur service in the temple, and he's the only one who goes into the holy of holies, right? the the, the, the epicenter. Of the temple was a place where the Ark of the Covenant was was kept, and he went in there once a year on Yom Kippur, and the entire Yom Kippur service was is, is that we have today is all based upon the activities of the Kohen Gadol of the High Priest in the Temple. There's a very interesting story that we find in tractate Yoma in uh, the Talmud, uh, page the page will be sixty nine A. And it says that there were Cuthines, as a member of a certain group who lived in Israel, Cuthines, who went to Alexander the Great, Alexander Mokdon, he's called, Alexander of Macedonia. So this gives you like a, a picture of when this guy lived, when Shimon the Righteous lived, right? Alexander the Great, right? The great Greek empire captured, all, you know, almost uh, what we you know, the, the, the known world or the, the civilized world of that time. So he also captured Israel, and these two themes—they uh, were um, lived in Israel at that time. Uh, the temple was still, you know, in, in you know, in, in, was still active. And uh, the 2 themes—they did not like the Jews, and they came to Alexander the Great and says, "There's a group of people, the Jews, and they are rebelling against you. You should come destroy them." So it was a really. Uh, a really bad day, whatever, and the Jews found out that they, that, that uh, Alexander uh, the Great was going to destroy them. Anyhow, so the high priest, the leader of the Jews, Shimon the Righteous, the author of our Mishnah, right, the, the, uh, the uh, subject of our Mishnah, he uh, took a group of delegates, he put on his special clothing, his special clothing, uh, that were uh, the special clothing of the high priest, and he walked out to greet Alexander the Great. And Alexander's on his horse, and he sees Shimon the righteous, and he gets off his horse, and he bows before him. And all his advisors and all the people say, well, what's going on? This is the leader of, like, the entire civilized world, right? Alexander the Great, the greatest uh, military uh, strategist. I don't believe that's a word. Strategist. Uh, strategist thank you. Um did right. Um, and an incredible leader, an incredible personality. He, he remember he captured the entire world. He died when he was thirty three years old, right? Uh, he did that all that all all that he did. He did before before you know before he died, and his his empire was so big that when he died, it had to be broken up into three different parts. Um, so he's getting down and bowing down to this rabbi in the funny clothing of the high priest. So he tells his men, I want to tell you that every time I go out to battle, I see an image, and I see an image of this guy, of Shimon the righteous. And that, and, and, I, and I know that this is what helps me. This is what helps me uh, to succeed in battle. And, he, and, and, uh, and the Jews tell him, yeah, indeed, in our temple, we pray for you. We pray for your success, and we pray for your, for your well-being. So obviously, he not only spared the Jews, but he punished the Kuthins who tried to badmouth the Jews. And, and the anecdote to the story is uh, that uh, all, I, th- I think I think Shimon the righteous told him, that in honor of this, all Jewish males that are born in the upcoming year will be called Alexander. And since then, the name Alex, Alexander, has been a Jewish name. Mm-hmm. You hear people are called Sender. Or Alexander, it's a Jewish name uh, ever since the time of uh, of Alexander the Great of this of this particular episode. So this is Shimon the Shimon the Righteous. He's the high priest. He is uh, the one of the last members of this of this group called the Men of the Great Assembly, and he was the leader of the Jewish people at the time of Alexander the Great. And what did he say? On three themes, the world stands on Torah study. On service of God, and on bestowing kindness. So, what does this mean? So, there's a few questions here. Question number one: What does it mean on three things the world stands? Triangle, it's perfect, stable. What does it mean that it stands? The world stands.
1: Does it sit?
0: Governed by. Governed by? Yeah. So, there's a dispute amongst the commentaries. I looked at the commentaries. There's a dispute. According to some opinions, it means these are the three purposes of the world, right? Jewish philosophy is not only the what, it's also the why. It's not only what is what is the purpose, uh, it's, not, it's not only what is the reality, but rather why. What is the purpose? And according to that opinion, according to that particular commentary, what it means in this Mishnah is that Shimon, the righteous, is telling us that the world, the end goals of the world are really three: Torah study, uh, service of God, and lastly, uh, bestowing kindness. That's opinion number one. Opinion number two is that it does not necessarily mean that this is the purpose of the world; rather, this is the sustainability of the world. What does that mean? If you on three things, the world stands, and if you were to remove any one of those. Those things, a similar way to a tripod, right? Mm-hmm. If the world is standing on three things, and you take one away, what happens to the world? It falls. And uh, this is a tremendously uh, deep, moving, uh, crucial, pivotal idea, I think, um, in in uh, in in Judaism. And that and, and that is that we, our particular innovation uh, in spirituality. If you were to point to one particular idea that is uniquely Jewish and our contribution to, um, well, there's lots of Jewish contributions to theology and and philosophy and spirituality. But I think maybe the deepest idea or the most profound, unique idea that's uniquely Jewish uh, is the convergence of the physical and spiritual worlds. Maybe convergence is not the right word. Maybe the mirror images of the physical and spiritual world. Now, what does that mean? We have a piece of Talmud that tells us. A piece of Talmud that tells us. A very strange statement. There is no strand, blade of grass that does not have an angel in heaven commanding it to grow. Right. This is from Chulin uh, seven. Try to Chulin uh, page no, page number seven. Every blade of grass has an angel, and the angel commands the grass to grow. Now, what this means obviously is a different discussion, um, but but the, the broad strokes of this idea is that everything physical has spiritual roots. You cannot have something physical that's devoid of spirituality. Other religions teach that there is spirituality and there's physicality, right? Man. Is evil, right? God is good, right? Right. Man is physical, and God is spiritual, and they're separate things, right? And uh, man cannot change what he is. And the reality of the physical world is that it's 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 evil, and that and, and you know, and, and all physicality is evil. That that is not a Jewish idea, because we say it's not possible for something to have sustenance unless it has a spiritual spark to it. And it's actually a verse in the Torah. Uh, where is this verse? Um, I don't know where it is. I, I, I just, you just thought about this now. Uh, but there's a verse in the Torah. It says that not on bread alone does man live. Rather, on the will of the word of God. What that means is quite literally... We cannot have sustenance. We cannot be sustained only through physical means. If we were to lose our spiritual spark, we're done. The physicality has only um, can only be uh, perpetuated, can could, could have life if it has the spiritual spark. So if man, right, were to lose his physical, his spiritual spark, his spiritual engine, what would happen to the man? He'd be dead because the physicality cannot exist without the spirituality. Right? We may call that a neshama. A neshama is a spiritual injection of life into into our bodies. Definition of death: separation of soul and body. Why? Because the soul is what's giving the body the ability to live. You take away the soul, there's nothing left. All you have is a heap of bones, and it all dies like that. Everything, everything stops working because you know there's no there's no more spark. And, and, and that piece of Talmud and Khulin is saying even, even more. Not only does, um, does, a, does a human need to have a spark to live, animals also have some sort of spark. That's a lower level spark. It's a much lower level spark, but animals also have to have some sort of fragment of spirituality in order to live. Not only that, not only does man and animal have to have spirituality to exist, but even a blade of grass, even a blade of grass which does not have even the level of soul required for an animal, much less a human, even a blade of grass has to have some sort of spiritual element that gives it gives it its it, it life. You would take that out, there cannot be any life. So yes, everything that's alive has a spiritual source, a spiritual root. Obviously, there's different levels. There's different levels. You take uh, greenery, uh, produce, right, vegetation, that's a much lower level of spiritual of a spiritual entity, uh, as opposed to something which is alive, which could walk around, which could uh, procreate like an animal, is a higher level. And all, the ultimate level is obviously a human. But that's the idea. The idea is, is that everything physical has spiritual roots. And, that's number one. Number two, if you were to take away the spiritual life of something physical, it were to automatically die. In our Mishnah, in our Mishnah we're saying the same idea on a global scale. On a global scale. What were to happen if the spiritual roots, the spiritual spark of the entire universe were to be stopped for a second. What would happen then? You know what happened? The universe would cease to exist. If, God forbid, for one second, for one instance, there was no Torah, there was no avoda, there was no Torah, there was no Torah study, there was no service of God, and there was no bestowing kindness in the entire world, the world would die similar to removing the soul from a human body or, or cutting off a spiritual pipe to a pipeline that gives life to uh, to man, to animal, to to uh, vegetation, or to the universe. This is an incredible idea. This is, like, like I said, it's 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 a uniquely Jewish idea, and it's a very it's a fundamental idea, um, and 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 it's it's uh, you know according to many commentaries, this this is what the mission is telling us. It's telling us what is the spiritual source of the entire world. These three things, and if for one second there were to be no Torah study, there were to be no, uh, there to be no um, bestowing kindness, and there would be no service of God, the world, as you know it, would cease to exist. There was a great yeshiva in Vilna, uh, the mother of all yeshivas, was founded in the be- in the be- beginning, or the modern yeshiva was founded in the beginning of the nineteenth century, in a little town uh, in Lithuania called Vilna, V O L O. Z-H-I-N. Jin. And they had a policy. What was their policy? That at any time of the day or night, there shall always be someone studying Torah. So they had a rotation. right? You have from 3 to 4 at, at night, and I have from 5 to 6. Or you know, They always have a rotation. I don't know what they, if they did it by day or by night. Or they always had a rotation. There was always, at all times of the day or night, 24-7, 365, every day, someone studying Torah in that institution. Why? Because of this Mishnah. Because of the idea that the the physical. We're holding up the world. If we're studying Torah, we can be assured that the world will continue to exist.
1: This sounds so Kabbalah. It sounds so
0: metaphysical. Uh, it it it's remember. I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know there? any Kabbalah. Oh, I don't know any about. Obviously, uh, it, it's a deep idea, um, and it's you know talks about spirituality, which is obviously people you know confuse that with Kabbalah. Kabbalah, what I, I consider Kabbalah is things that are hidden, right? things, things that are, things are hidden.
1: hidden. But th- this isn't hidden. This
0: is this is this is what it says in the mission. But, but,
1: but the things that are available, like always linked to things that are hidden, right?
0: Um. Yes, of course, of course, I, I agree to that one hundred percent. But I don't believe that anything I told you uh, tonight yet uh, is is, uh, is is incumbent on uh, on Kabbalah to be true. What can extinguish the spirit, the soul? I'm sorry. What can extinguish the soul? What could distinguish the soul? What can extinguish it? It ceases to exist. No, the soul isn't. The soul, uh, that, that, that's, that's not that. No, uh, that's a misinterpretation. The soul cannot be extinguished. Okay. However, the body can. Right. We're not talking about there's there's a physical and a spiritual and they're meshed together. Yeah. Right. Now, the soul is eternal. The soul cannot be extinguished. There's nothing you could do. Well, it may happen. There is a, it, there is an idea called kares, uh, a Jewish idea. You could look it up, kares, which is extinguishing your soul. Does it get fully extinguished or not? But basically, it gets it gets deleted. A uh, soul. How it works. That means you have to come to Kabbalah. I don't know how it works. But the, but in general, there's no such a thing as extinguishing a soul. What does happen, what I'm trying to describe, is the soul being removed from the body. Okay. So the body dies. The body dies. Means the physicality needs the spirituality. The spirituality does not need the physicality. In fact, in fact, the soul loathes the body. The soul cannot stand the body. The soul wants nothing nothing less than being put in a physical body. Uh, but, because okay. it's a piece of pure spirituality. Can, can I ask you a question? Yes.
1: I have a mother-in-law who's in levels of dementia. Okay. And, and there are people yes. who are And um, you feel like um, the body and the soul become uh, separate.
0: Um, so long as the person is 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 alive I believe the soul is still there mm-hmm. um, it's a good question I don't know I don't know the, the, the answer but as long as you ain't dead you got a soul because once again it's not possible for body to function at all it's not possible for a heart to pump and for brain activity to continue right physical brain activity to continue if um, if if there's no if there's no spiritual uh, entity. I, mean, a transition between what was and what I don't know if we could say there's half a soul. It, that's I don't know. I, you, you may be right. You may have to ask someone who knows more than me. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But but a body devoid of a soul cannot cannot continue to exist. Um, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to the question. That, that brings me to another question. Yes, if the soul is forever. Yes.
1: What's the Jewish belief in an afterlife? Does the soul continue in another body after you're gone?
0: Yeah, um, this is a little bit off topic. Um, but it, yes, the, we do believe that the soul, uh, if someone dies, their soul is still intact. Uh, 100%. We do believe in resuscitation, right? That's it. If that's the case, then um,
1: you're saying if they're not there, as you look at them, this is not the same person. The their body soul, I'm looking at the body and this isn't the same person, their soul is still intact but to be in contact with that soul is, without the body, I mean or with is, the body being there but uh, not there.
0: It, we believe that it is actually easier to be in contact with the soul after the soul has left the body because you no longer have the separation of the body. It means a body muffles uh, a soul. So Body it, muffles a so soul. So you
1: so, can even say that, that if we were in tune, uh, perhaps we could be more in tune with the soul visiting the person who's in dementia.
0: Perhaps. But most certainly after after someone is... <laughs> it is easier. It is easier. This is, this, is, this is an idea that's hard for some people to uh, understand uh, properly. But it is easier to maintain a relationship with someone's soul after they're dead. Than before they were dead, because a soul, when it's when it's submerged in a body, gets muffled. Right? The 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 effect, the influence uh, of a soul has to go through the body in order to be, so, you know, to attach you So
1: how would you communicate with the soul if there's no body to transmit what the soul's
0: thinking? Well, so you don't have to communicate with it, but but that the, the idea of being close to someone and someone's soul is. How do you communicate? I don't know. Um, you can't I don't, I don't know. I don't know of any ways to communicate with dead people, uh, at least ones that are sanctioned by the Torah. Uh, but, but, but the idea of closeness um, is is I don't think is, is necessarily uh, only via communication. So, so what
1: you're saying? So how would you
0: do it? Uh, that's, a good, that's another okay. good question. But, but that's a good question. And remember, this is this is a little bit off topic. But with regards to your question, Ed, yeah, most certainly. We do believe that the soul continues, and there's nothing there's nothing that you, that can be done to uh, to destroy a soul. I, I
1: have a question.
0: How and we do believe in resuscitation. Yes.
1: How do you explain?
0: And we do, we do believe in reincarnation. How do you explain the
1: differences then between
0: evil people who also have a soul? Well, that's the whole point. Remember, we said Ad, 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 Adam is Adam because yes. everyone has a choice. Humans Choices. can be evil. Humans can be evil. Yes, humans can be evil, and humans can y- humans to be selfish, humans to be bad. Humans, not the spirit being selfish. The the spirit, no, it's, it's it's the ability to choose to favor the yeah. body over the soul. So, and and. and it's, it's, well, Yitzhak Tov is th- those things are not necessarily essential. That's a good point because there's there, there, there's there's mirroring uh, in in other ways besides for body and soul. There's also uh, uh, good and and bad. Um, Influences that we call uh, the inclinations, right? Those things are not essential. The difference between a body and the Yetzirah, right, versus a, and uh, uh, a soul and the Yetzirah Tov is that when we look at essentially what is human, human is a body and a soul. Human has influences. Those things are external. They're not part of who he is. So yes, those things who are similar, that, are, that, that they influence you one way or the other, but they're not essentially who you are. Uh, who you are is body and a soul. Your job is to make sure that your soul influences the body, and your body becomes more soul-like, more spiritual-like, more adam, more similar to God, and your uh, uh, and not the opposite, where your in uniquely spiritual soul becomes more similar to your body. So that so, so that so that's the definition of human: the ability to take the body. And purify it. Take the body and make a physical element more spiritual, adameh, more similar to God. And conversely, the ability to take a soul and muddle it or modify it—I don't know the right word—or to sully it with uh, with with the with the with the earth-like uh, elements of the body. I means just like it's possible to take a soul, to take a body and purify it and to elevate it, it's possible to take a soul, and and sully it and to make it dirty and to and and, and, and to put and, and and to to lower the level of the soul, lower the influence of the soul. And if take a look at the at the piece of Talmud in in in, in Brachos, chapter Brachos, eight a, it talks about death and describes different levels of death, and it and and we know, as we said, death is separation of soul and body, and the best way to die is when your soul and body are in harmony, i.e., your soul influenced the body to become more soul-like. So all you have is a soul and a soul-like body, living in perfect, perfect harmony. That's a very easy kind of death, as opposed to the most difficult kinds of death, is where your body and soul are so enmeshed with each other because the body became overcame when um, overcame or influenced the soul. And sullied the soul and made the soul more body-like. Then to separate the two is very difficult, and it's a very painful death. And the Gemara Deir describes, the piece of Talmud Deir describes that there's 903 different ways to die. So what that means, I don't know. But one of them is like it, it says, it, it, it appears the best way to die: is like pulling a hair uh, out of a cup of milk, seamless, smooth, and painless. You take the soul out of the body because they're living in perfect harmony. The worst way to die is like when you have a piece of wool that got stuck in thorns and to try to separate the two. Very difficult. They became so enmeshed it's very difficult to separate so them. What happens to the soul once it releases? Let's say you're, you are an evil person. So, the person dies. Does the soul return to what it once was? So, uh, being that humans are soul and body... So the ultimate punishment and ultimate reward cannot be done uh, to the soul without the body or the body without the soul. So when you die, one of three things can happen to you, to your soul, right? Your body gets buried. Uh, obviously, Ju- Judaism we don't we don't believe in in in, uh, in cremation. It's a very bad thing to do in Judaism. We don't destroy the body because we're going to need the body again. Uh, your body gets buried, and it's just they there waiting to be revived uh, with chiyat 18, with resusc- resuscitation of the dead. What happens to your soul, one of three three things could happen to it. Either it'll have to go through a power wash, either it'll have to go through a thonez gehennom, right? A purgatory, it it was sullied, it was ruined, it needs to be cleaned, okay? Or it's perfectly clean and nothing needs to happen to it, or it needs to be reinserted into another body because it totally didn't accomplish its mission. That's what we call reincarnation. Now, let's say a soul is in perfect condition, right, pristine, mint condition. What happens to it? It gets, placed in a, in a, it gets put in a place called uh, Gan Eden or, or uh, the Garden of Eden, which is what I call a glorified waiting room. It means it's a very pleasant place to be, but it's not the ultimate destination. It's a very fun waiting room, but the ultimate thing is on planet Earth where the soul gets reinserted in the body and then the reward and punishment is meted out. Yeah? So, so that's what happens when... So the, when soul, so the soul cannot be inherently evil or inherently good. Well, the soul so can... Then, so the, the soul that inhabited Hitler could be in somebody else now and not be a bad person? Uh, actually not. So so like, like I said, it's, it's possible for a soul to get distinguished um, and that is what's called caris, which is where Hitler's soul is not in use anymore. It wasn't in anyone else's body. It means when a soul is so corrupt and so perverted and so evil that's beyond repair and then that's it just it just one. it that's
1: very extinguished number 2 soul is power washed and clean soul is perfectly clean and then soul is inserted in another
0: body exactly what a so things. what
1: happens to the soul that gets power washed and clean does it get sent out again so
0: or? we don't believe in eternal hell right, right. It's right. After it is the gets power washed and clean it goes to the same glorified waiting room. as one else okay
1: so there's a glorified waiting
0: room yes mm-hmm. and it's
1: perfectly it in. clean its waiting room and what happens Who who gets inserted into another
0: body? When someone doesn't accomplish their mission. Souls are here with missions. One of the missions... Well, the mission is to become great people. To perfect ourselves. That's why we're learning Musar to perfect ourselves. That that, that sounds similar to Buddhism. Well, obviously, there are lots of Naka related. Yes. One question then. Um, Is this concept so unique of that time? In other words, is any other faith... You know, be it Greeks, Romans, anyone else believe this? Was this strictly a Jewish concept? Well, not the ancient religions. Like I said, okay. um, we were the first one to talk about an invisible God, did, right the, 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 the Greeks, the Greeks, or the Romans, the Romans adopted all the Greek gods, okay. and according to uh, uh, Roman historians, they had thirty thousand gods. So, like the the whole idea of one invisible, infinite God is a Jewish idea. But the concept of soul, is but and great. it's a concept of soul, concept of soul. So did the Greeks have it? I don't believe the Greeks had it because remember the Greeks don't, don't even believe in, uh, in 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 uh, in the same kind of god that we believe in. They don't believe in anything besides for this world. So so no, the Greeks certainly did not. The Romans, I don't think you know, the Romans were just the extensions of the Greek, right? Greco-Romans. Right. Uh, the Christians adopted. Christians right. adopted. So Christians and Muslims. The they East? they adopted the. The, uh, the Hindus. I don't like know, but I don't know what the Hindus really believe. Uh, I think they do believe that there's sparks and whatever, but I don't know. I don't know if it's as if it's as organized and clear as as you know as as what we believe. So yeah, I think they do believe in some elements and you know the caste system. So yes, uh, reincarnation for sure they believe in, but the different caste systems it's become better. I don't. You know, I don't know if they if they believe exactly what we believe uh, with I don't know relation you believe to you this. Can
1: reincarnate and see you your so, so Okay. Yourself.
0: Yes. Anyhow, so yes, uh, so where 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 were we?
1: We're what? And then
0: oh. it would be. Uh, so, like we said. Uh, the Torah study, the uh, the service of God, and the Yes, yeah. three themes that these are the spiritual nourishment of the universe. You stop them for a second. The universe loses its spiritual pipeline, gets cut off from the spiritual pipeline, and it's done for.
1: Okay, so this is Torah, study, service of God, and...
0: The yes, so I want to talk about... little Would
1: you underline those in the Hebrew?
0: That would be Torah, Avodah, and Milo okay. You're welcome. Now, what? another... Uh, yes, Ed. Is that Avodah? Is that same as Avodah? the same word, avoda. Avoda. word, okay. Now, I was only asking because when my daughter was... Uh, of trainee at camp. They call them avodas. Avodah so, means work. Okay. So it means it means work. Um, I translate I it as service because it, yes. it means service for God. Okay. It me what? So the labor trade party trade in out. Israel. Labor party is called avodah. Labor, okay. work, service. Right. Now, if someone were to ask you, from now henceforth. What does Judaism say that is different than all other religions? You'll tell them, what will you tell them is that we believe that everything physical has spiritual roots and spiritual pipes that give they give it life. If you were to cut off something physical spiritual pipeline, it would cease to exist. That's one thing. that's one area that uh, where, where there's, some, there's a convergence of physical and spiritual, that's unique to Judaism. I want to say that from this Mishnah, we can really see, we can really see another area where the physical and spiritual converge and create an idea that's also unique to Judaism. So we said the physical can exist only if it has spiritual pipes. Cut off the spiritual pipes? Physical cannot exist alone in a vacuum. There's another idea, which is... I don't know if it's exactly inherent in this Mishnah, but it's, it's, it's the theme, it's the spirit of this Mishnah. And that is that physical need not remain physical forever. Now, what do I mean by that? It's possible for physical to be elevated to spiritual. We believe that... When you do something with a proper intention, when you speak, it's a physical activity, correct? Mm -hmm. But when you speak to God, that's not a physical activity anymore. That's a spiritual activity. It's possible to engage in physical activities, but actually do, it to elevate the physical and make it actually spiritual. This is, once again, another idea. We are humans. We're physical. But it's possible, our bodies for sure are physical. But when I'm sweating, and I'm schlepping, and I'm running to visit your your aunt or your mom, I forgot who you said my that, right? mother. your mother, your mother, if, I'm, oh, I'll give you a if I'm doing chesed, if I'm doing kindness, if I'm doing mitzvot with my body, is my body physical or is it spiritual? It's spiritual. It's spiritual.
1: Well, I would say, yeah, it's a combination. No,
0: yeah. it means that I could be engaging in here. physical activities, but really doing spiritual activities. In other religions, we're taught that there's a physical and there's a spiritual and They don't touch each other. They're separate entities. Right? The, the priests don't get married. Because marriage, right, that's a sex is a physical activity. Right? In Judaism, we say, no, 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 The holiest thing that someone could do is engage in sexual activity. The holiest thing. Well, if it's done on the right with the right intentions, mm-hmm. right, in the right context. Right? Obviously. Yeah, ta- ta- Yeah, no, and and and, that, and that's a, that's a, that's a true idea sourced <laughs> all across classical Jewish Jewish philosophical texts, and that's because yes, physical activity can be just physical. In fact, it can be bad, but in the proper context with the proper intentions, you can take a physical activity and elevate it to to to, to, to a spiritual and, and, and plateau. Stretch
1: a point, you could say exercising at the gym every day could be a spiritual activity because. Your body belongs to God,
0: and you're taking care mm-hmm.
1: of your God's body. Well, uh, I, I know I don't see it. Either. Actually, really have a hard time
0: to actually, know. actually, what the Vilner Goin, Vilner Goin is uh, the Goin of Vilna, uh, seventeen twenty to seventeen ninety seven. Uh, he he said it there. at that, that exact point. He said well, he said it in a similar way. He says it's possible to live an entirely spiritual life because, like I said, the right intentions means when I go to sleep. Why am I sleeping? If I'm just sleeping to have a strong body, well, it's not a spiritual activity. But if I'm sleeping in order to have a strong body to engage in spiritual activities, that's once again that extends the spiritual activities of the body to even things like sleep and food. You don't like that?
1: I love it. I totally love it. No, I think <laughs> I think it's. I
0: think it's um... Well, did you ever try this? What whoa, whoa. <laughs> <What's> whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a second. Before. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, Betty. Before you lambast this idea, I want you to try it. Mm, okay. I want you to I want you to go next time tomorrow morning. You want to eat breakfast, and as you're eating breakfast, first of all you make a proper blessing on the food, and then you say, and with every bite you're thinking, "I'm eating, so shall I, I shall have strength to be a good person and to do what God wants me to do." Oh, if you ever try that, and it doesn't work for you. Then come back to me and disagree with me. So next week, we'll have, we'll dupe this out. But if you never tried it, you can't climb up to Mount Pius and say, it doesn't work. You have to try it. Okay. okay. So, well, well, this, the, no, this the, is the
1: place the, I, I the, come to this. The in idea. My, it's in the West, we believe that our bodies belong to God, right? Absolutely. Because that's why we don't believe in assisted suicide or suicide or that sort of thing. And my mother in law comes to me every day. And says please let's put an end to this you know Mm -hmm. and i said if you were in the east you would say your body belongs to yourself and this could be your your deal but we're in the west so therefore we believe our body belongs to god and so if um we can't do
0: that if uh (laughs) if if you were to i know in um in in israel i think it's like this here as well um, police dogs and police horses are considered like police officers, right? And if you know, if you were to assault, uh, I don't know why I wouldn't suggest doing this, but if you were to assault, assault a member of the canine, you know, mm-hmm. or the, the a horse, uh, it might even be a police dog in some places. They're considered like like uh, like police officers, and considered assault police officer. And take this as an example. Why why is that? Because. Something that's a tool of the police is like an extension of the police and part of the police itself. Mm-hmm. Similarly, we look at our, our body as a tool mm-hmm. for our soul. Think of it as a horse and a rider, right? Mm-hmm. Our rider is our soul to our horse's body, right? The rider is to the is to the horse as the soul is to the body. We look at this as the soul as the horse. Sorry, we look at the body as the horse of our soul. Mm-hmm. If you were to assault my police horse, you're assaulting my police. Mm-hmm. If you were to assault my body, mm-hmm. which is my soul's horse, you're assaulting my 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 uh, mm-hmm. my soul as well. Mm-hmm. Think of it. Think of it as that way. If you were to, when you're when you're sharpening your tool, right, you're sharpening an element of what your craft is. If you're sharpening your body. And your body is being used for soul-like activities. It's really a spiritual. Mm-hmm. It's spiritual. Activity. That that's the point. That's the point. So yes, it's hard for us to see that. If if we are if we're just you know focused on, on on physical activities, it's hard for us to see our physical activities as being uh, tools of our spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. But if if we were to imagine, you
1: know, I, I get the concept. I get the concept. If you really do it for the right. In other words, I'm I'm going to sleep so that my body can renew itself to be capable of doing spiritual things. But it's so easy for us as humans
0: to use that as an excuse. 100%. I'm eating chocolate
1: so that I don't have this craving and therefore I can concentrate and do God's work. 100%. Give me a I and I want, want to tell time. you
0: uh, that one of my rebbees in yeshiva, one of my teachers in yeshiva, he would say like this. He says like this. Let's say you're done. Louis, in yeshiva, the s- schedules are, are a lot more, uh, uh, you know, uh, broad than what we're used to. Like, I, when I was in high school, I was in yeshiva till 10 o'clock at night. And then back in yeshiva, 7 in the morning. Um and in, you know, when I was in Israel and yeshiva in yeshiva, in you know, I was studying Torah all day till eleven o'clock at night. You know, it was awesome. But my uh, my Rebbe once said, he says, if you finish learning and you you know cross around as we say in Yiddish, means you waste time for an hour and then go to sleep, then you could have learned that hour, could have studied Torah that hour, but you chose to just you know. Waste your time. Now you're going to sleep. Is that sleep a spiritual activity or physical activity? It's a physical activity. Why? Because what did you just finish? You just finished a physical activity. But now, if I study Torah, and then I no, I have, I'm tired, I have to go to sleep. I go to sleep right away. Why am I sleeping? I'm sleeping because well, I really would have learned. I would have learned throughout the whole night. But I, don't, I don't have the energy. So, so I'm sleeping... To re-energize myself so I can engage in spiritual activities. So that's an example where if my whole life is that of spiritual activities, then my my physical body, that's my tool that I'm using, I recharge it, it's a spiritual spiritual activity. Mm -hmm. So yes, I do believe it can be used as an excuse, and I do believe that this is for the select few who are really living spiritually charged lives. But the idea and theory is true. No,
1: no, I I get the theory, I get the idea. It's just almost inconceivable that could, could do that. You have to be a special, special... But, but okay, excuse me. You have done so much good work, not just for humans, but for animals, and, and for, you know, elevating the community. And, you know, there's there's a lot of different kinds of spiritual activity out there. And I would say downtime, eating chocolate is getting ready for the next yeah.
0: moment. Yes, I, I agree. I think I think you're both, you both, you both don't, you, I, I think that um, uh, Roseanne, is that Roseanne? Is that
1: your name? That is, I'm Roseanne.
0: Betty. Okay. So I, I do believe...
1: We're both Mrs. Friedman.
0: I do believe... Just say
1: Mrs. Friedman. No, I mean, no relationship. Yeah, <laughs> I do believe
0: that you guys are not really arguing. You both really agree on the principle of the matter. It's just that uh, the way it was described as when someone's living an entirely spiritual life uh, is that being very difficult to accomplish. So in reality, the amount of people who are actually doing this select few. But, so but the say, theory it's is just true, it's just, just the reality it's just, is very rare. I would say,
1: I would say the reality is maybe not as rare as you think.
0: I, because well, I know, I, what's I, I was, life, I was. If you
1: fragment your life into pieces of. I'm doing a good deed by keeping my car in order, and yeah, I'm doing it's a good deed by doing this. And it's I'm, different percentages of, and yes, we're all good people here, and maybe 60% uh we're, we're following this. The other 40% I'm sitting around, I'm watching TV, I'm you know I'm playing with the puppy. You
0: know, playing I'm, with the puppy I'm,
1: would work. I'm, watching I'm, TV is I'm downside. Golf you t- know, golf, t- golf, t- is t- music. golf? spiritual. No, no, I think all, I mean, I think all things, no, dollars. I really think, I mean, I'm sorry if you break
0: it down. Okay, I, 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 I think, the I think that,
1: steadiers. I think we have I to think break that our lives down into,
0: uh, but I do think is that you're being a little bit, you're being probably a little bit too, too bitter, exact. Too you're being a little bit too flaky about not Blakey, flaky, too broad. I apologize. I like I not flaky. I apologize. I, uh, Roseanne, Roseanne, I, I retract that. No, you
1: will retract it. I retract it right now. <laughs> and I apologize. Flaky is I apologize. Fragmented. I, 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 I will accept not for, the word fragmented. Too accepted. How's it too accepted? No, how about ex- fragmented, maybe fragmented. I, I hereby apologize. apologize. taking care of dogs and making breakfast, and maybe there's fragmentation <laughs> in there
0: yes but, I do apologize for that statement and I regret it well, I take it back
1: I, I withdraw it in the no if I withdrew <laughs> I withdrew
0: it it's a five five second rule <laughs> and if you withdraw within five seconds you're good to go so was I withdrew <laughs> within five seconds <laughs> and I even <laughs> I have but, 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 you but you're not really wasting your time by doing what you want for that for that hour because God wants you to have pleasure well yes but God but God wants you to have ultimate pleasure Remember, don't settle. I've said this. I've said this speech before. I spoke here once before that I believe Betty was here. And yes, don't want you pleasure, but God doesn't want you I'm to squander right your Not pleasurability right on the lowest levels. Yeah, them, so you yes, have ultimate it's ultimate true. Twenty four seven. You have other. You have lesser. I do believe 24/7. that it's possible to have ultimate pleasure twenty four seven. It's very unlikely, it. but it's possible. And I, I know people. I know people who have it. So yes, I knew. I, I know. I know intimately that it's possible. But there's only thirty six Sadikum in the world. Well, perfect to detail. Well, yes, that's remember that that's that's ready. You're stepping in. You're towing into the Kabbalah sphere, which I don't know that much about. Uh-huh.
1: But but you're actually right. I'm probably taking it
0: much. Too no, but I, I think you're actually right. Too I was just trying to bridge the gap, but I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I, I I do think I do it's think kind that more it's more
1: appropriate in giving it a much more lavish view of understanding are really good people here. And therefore, we do good during our day, and even you if we feel guilty. On the freeway. Well, <laughs> there are moments of evil that come up as, as a benefit. And uh, yes, it let's it to yes, continue.
0: yes uh, to continue. I want to say I want to say one point. So we know that Torah means Torah study, studying the Torah. Avoda means service of God. What does that mean? Uh, so we know that the uh, sacrifice in the temple were considered were called avoda, which was service of God. Now that we don't have a temple anymore, that was uh, that was replaced by prayer. Prayer is what's the classical avoda, right? Service of God. Uh, what does it mean? Prayer means to talk to God and what language. In the language you're most comfortable in. Whatever language, you want. Whatever language you want, whenever you want. There's a major mistake, misconception Jews have about Judaism in that it's it's relegated to the synagogue or to the Jewish center or to some sort of place, mm-hmm. location, wearing certain clothes. That's when prayer is appropriate. In reality, uh, prayer is appropriate everywhere, at any time. I want, And I want to tell you that it, I talk to God hundreds of times a day. Hundreds. In what language? I do pray three times a day in Hebrew, but primarily in English, because that's the language I'm most comfortable with. And that's what prayer is really about. It means to develop a personal relationship with God via communication. What kind of communication? Verbal communication. In what language? Language you're most comfortable in. Speak to Him like you speak to your fellow the Mesiel Sisharim, right? The famous work of, of, of Muslim philosophy uh, written in the beginning of the uh, seventeenth uh, 18th century by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzatahu, known as the Ramchal. He describes prayer, Ki Ish hamadabel Echaviro which translates to English, like a man speaking to his fellow, and his fellow is hearing and listening. That is what prayer is really about, speaking to God like you speak to your fellow. The reason why we have prayer canonized and in, in, in Hebrew was because people were negligent. People were not fulfilling their duty of, of speaking to God. And the rabbi said, we have to put a fence around the Torah. And if people are not speaking to God, we have to force them to speak to God. And they have to come to synagogue, and they have to come communally, and if you don't show up, everyone says, where's you know, where's Walby? How come you didn't show up to Shul? right? But in reality, prayer in its essence is man talking to God like you talk to your fellow. Building relationship with God. Torah study, service of God, building relationship with God. Lastly, is milut chasadim, right? Engaging in acts of kindness, in acts of kindness. Looking at what does your fellow need. Caring, worrying about your friend. Right? Charity is the first step, right? But much greater than charity is giving someone a loan. Why is that? Because when someone when someone is not doing well. They don't want handouts. No one likes handouts. They want welfare. Isn't that the 47 percenters? Well, I don't want to engage in that, right? I don't want to talk about that. But you want to give someone and let them save face. Give them a loan. and Let them build themselves up. Let them feel good about themselves, right? You, you can do kindness with even people that are not around anymore. You can do kindness with wealthy people. You can do kindness with people in your family. It's, it's, it's a, it's a worldview of caring for others. Torah, avoda, im chasadim. Torah study, service of God, and and uh, and engaging in kindness. These are the spiritual pipelines that 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 that, uh, that hold up the world. And if you do these things, what you're really doing, according to this Mishnah, you're holding up the entire world. Can you imagine if if the rest of the world lived by it? Well, there are lots of people that are doing it. But those, the people that are doing these things, are the ones that are. Taking responsibility for the entire world. Think about that. Think about how amazing or how how great a responsibility and and and, and an opportunity it is for us to say the entire world is on my shoulders, and I re, and I'm, I'm taking responsibility for the world. I'm the one who's ensuring that the spiritual nourishment that keeps the world uh, in existence is uh, is steady steadily flowing. I want to say one more quick point. Is everyone here familiar with the term gematria?
1: Of course
0: I am. Well, yes, no, 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 no yes. yes. Okay, gematia is uh, the numerical value of the Hebrew language.
1: Chi is 18. Oh,
0: You're okay. familiar with yes. it. Yes.
1: Why is that? It's 36. And, the term. And, yeah,
0: but you concept. <laughs> and love is 13, so it's a lucky number. Mm-hmm. Now, um, ahavaz, yeah. Now, the um, I the, uh, nice. the way it works is 22 letters in the alphabet right and there's an order alphabet right gimel dalet right so, alpha is 1 bet is 2 right all the way 1 to 10 10 to 20 30 40 50 60 70 80 90 100 right 100 200 300 400 400 is the last letter which is a tough. right Tough. Mm-hmm. Right? right so every letter has a has a numerical value what's the numerical value of the word torah right i spelled torah no, but in Tav. Hebrew, uh, a, uh, uh, oh. a- Tav, b- vav, reish, hey. This is four hundred. This is six. Oh, I'll, I'll do it on the board here. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, can we do? Yeah, with to- reish, to-, to, ra. Right. This is four hundred. This is vav is six. Right. Alef, bet, gimel, dalet, hey, hey. To- vav, six, reish is a third to last letter, so it's 200. And what's hey? Five. Five, Five, very good. So what's the total? 611. 611. Okay, now let's do this. Give me loot. Hasad. Skimmel, 3 40 10 36 400 like that was 400 8 60 4 10 50 right 50
1: right at 50 uh
0: that's right, 40 apologize 40 okay. 40 plus 10 50 54, 50. 54. Yeah, 60 60 so that's 67. one fourteen. 14 114, correct? Okay. Right, 60 plus 60 plus four. No, that's, that's not, it's 124. Plus eight, so that's 132. Plus 400, so that's 532. Okay. Plus 67. 70, 80, 89. 532 plus 89, so that's one, 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 six, 11. 11. Boom, I discovered this myself. I said, wow. You Yes, I did. Back. I counted on myself I'm like wow. I am very pleased. Torah, me chasadim, right? Torah and kindness, right? Which one is more important? Which one is more important? They're equal. They're equal. They're equal. Oh. And, I'll t- and i And I. And I saw. I saw the uh, the Talmud strikingly, striking Talmud in uh, in Avodazara, tractate Avodazara. Oh, I think it's eighteen B, and it says like this: Someone who engages in Torah study. Someone engages in Torah, but does not engage in gemilut chasadim, does not engage in loving kindness. Dome kimi she'ein lo It's similar to someone who does not believe in God. Someone can study Torah the whole day. Right? Engage in lofty matters in, of, of, of broadening the mind and intellectual activity. right? But doesn't translate that into a worldview where they see others and care for others and worry about others. And doesn't take every step of growth in Torah and make a parallel step of growth in Demiluchas HaSadim like that you don't believe in God. Why? Because the belief in God means that there has to be a balance of your Torah growth and your Demiluchas. Don't think that one's more valuable than the other. And I said, "Hey, wow!" And I just counted the like gematria. I'm like, six hundred eleven. Both of them are six hundred eleven. That was that was that was, uh, that was my my epiphany of, of uh, yes. May, may and so, I share? May I share my let me just, let me just, let me just, let me just finish, and then we'll have right. questions. So on to I just give a quick recap. So we start off by saying, we're all judges. All right. What's the value of, why do we start a track date on ethics with the discussion of judges? Because we're humans. Because we're all judges. And we're always making decisions. We're always making judges. <coughs> judgments, <laughs> Judgment <laughs> calls. We're all really judges, and that's how we uh, improve or regress. Then we saw the next Mishnah, which said, uh, the Shema the Righteous said that there are three things that hold up the world. There's three spiritual pipes that give life to the world. We talked about the idea of physical, having spiritual roots. And we talked about what Torah means, what uh, service of God means, and what Kamil Chasadim means. And the last idea, not the last idea but one of the idea, another idea that we said is that a man who's physical, can engage in spiritual activities and elevate the physical. Physical need not remain physical; it could be elevated into the spiritual. Yes. Now you guys have a question. Any? Now, now have a question. Okay. Well,
1: I to I, I say I, I do flowers at the temple, and I had um, Ellie Lycos' flower arrangement, and we were discussing the the negative laws of positive laws in her Torah portion, which you can tell. And it was 365 uh, negative laws and 246 positive laws. 48. Which, 248. Great. So we were trying to get this down into flowers. Mm-hmm. So the idea was we, as a general rule, went to 7 to 10. Same ratio, almost perfectly the same ratio as 7 to 10. So there's 7 as the Jewish number and 10 as the 10 commandments, because the 10 commandments were in that Torah portion, Right. So I did seven bright-colored flowers, light-colored flowers on one side, ten dark-colored flowers on the other. Cute. So that was my light moment. Very cute. Know. And I had mathematicians do that talk, and I was trying to get it to, like, the Greek, uh, um, the, what's it called, the golden section, which is .67, but it was really .62. But really, we went to um, something very close to that. It was like .63 for the 7 to 10, coming off of, the, you know, mm-hmm. the ratio from 2.48 8 to 3.65. 65. So that's about, it. so I did 7 to 10. So
0: Fascinating. Are you pleased? I am. Uh, I'm glad. Ed, yes. question. Yes. You have a question? No, I have a question. Nope. Jerry, nope. Betty, see y'all nope. next week. And Betty, you have to do some golf, the um, some golf
1: tips. Give me some golf tips. You know what? Oh,
0: I like that